Hi, I am Kyle. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Social Ninjas. Hiya! Jeremy and I both struggled with social anxiety and mental health overall. Now we both work to improve our own mental health and the mental health of others by sharing what we did to help our social anxiety and what we learn and continue to do to improve upon our own mental health. What we share is what we learn from our own experiences. We are not mental health professionals and what we say should not be used in place of or replacement of medication or your doctor. Enjoy Enjoy the the show. show. Welcome to the Social Ninjas podcast. I am your co-host, Kyle. Join with me as always, that other guy, the other co-host, Jeremy. What is up, Jeremy? Who? Who? Oh, oh. Hey, Kyle. What's going on? (laughs) We also have two very special guests with us. Richard and Charlie Jaffe. What's going on, guys? Hey, guys. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting us. For clarification, they're father and daughter. I'm the father. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for clearing that up. So I I guess we'll we'll do this one at a time. Usually how we do is we have the guests kind of introduce themselves, kind of give us a little background and kind of what you guys are doing now. So if Richard, you want to go first, and then Charlie, sure. you can follow after him, after her. Sure. So I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started uh, two companies, uh, an Italian ices business and a, a latex glove business. Struggled mightily for 10 years, turned it around, uh, took them each public, and then sold one to Coca-Cola and sold one to Kimberly Clark. So um, I've also published a book of poetry. Uh, uh, part owner of the Phoenix Suns NBA basketball team, and then Charlie and I wrote a book together called "Turning Crisis into Success." Um, and it's kind of she picks the hardest moments of my life, okay. And as I wrote about it, she would say, "Dad, don't tell me what you did. Tell me what you think, what you feel." She wanted to know <laughs> the struggles I went through. So I bared my soul. I, I thought I had a happy life until I wrote this book with my daughter, okay. But uh, it goes over and over. And now, uh, currently, uh, I sit on a couple boards and I mentor a startup entrepreneurs in growing and scaling their fast growth businesses. And then Charlie and I do podcasts and, and try and promote Oh, them. you're like us. Yeah. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm, I'm his spawn uh, that got to kind of dig into his life story and deepest insecurities, which I, if you ever have the chance to do that with a, a parent, highly recommend. <laughs> um, and my background's a little over the place. I had uh, studied international politics. I spent a couple years in Silicon Valley, backpacked around Southeast Asia, ran a yoga school in I Australia. Um, but just recently finished up my master's at Columbia in clinical psychology and counseling psychology. And I do crisis counseling, so specifically working in suicide prevention. And I'm a cyber, uh, survivor of suicidality myself, so very much, you know, identify with the work super deeply and my big passion what I'm focusing on now is really how we can use storytelling as medicine uh, in changing the way we talk about understand and interact with mental health so interweaving data uh, and research and really sort of empowering authentic heart-centered stories I love it yeah (laughs) so let's just dive in like so can you tell us a little about the journey of creating this book yeah. Why did you start? He, he likes to. He likes me to start telling the story of how I got started because we. We don't necessarily agree. We don't agree all the time. Uh, yeah, I had actually been. Uh, it was like my senior year of college, and I probably like many others was super anxiously overanalyzing what am I going to be doing next, um, and. My dad had been giving a couple talks uh, to business schools about he, he had talked about his sort of ten ingredients for happiness and success, and. I was helping him edit a little bit because he thought, well, okay, if I write this into a book, I don't have to travel. I can just share it without having to put in as much input. Um, and so I started editing and, you know, sometimes kids can really give feedback to a parent that no one else would. Um, sometimes maybe in ways that like they could use a little more protection, but we have a really nice banter. And so I could kind of understand what he was trying to get across. And there's, there was none of that blockages of professionality. We just completely were totally open and present with each other. It worked really well. And so pretty quickly he said, hey, 
do you want to do this thing? Like, do you want to write this together? And I was like, heck yeah. Oh my gosh. To get to do a project with my dad. What a special experience. And I had no idea what I was signing up for, but it has been such a beautiful and powerful process together. And we've gotten to know each other, I would say, at such a deeper level. And I think also, it's just first, we've always had a very close connection. But, you know, I thought she's also such a great writer. And so I thought it would be helpful. I didn't realize that I would be bearing my soul to the world. She knows things about me that her mother, my wife of 35 years, doesn't even know. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> tell stories. But, I mean, I think I have uh, I've always been very success-focused. Um, I just move on. And I've not really been very vulnerable. And I think Charlie taught me in, in writing the book what it's like to be vulnerable, what we learn about ourselves being vulnerable. And uh, she had a great line saying, you know, uh, when something was painful, I'd skip it and move on. And she says, and that's where the learning is. The learning's mm. in the pain. You've got to use that as a tool. So though I started the book as 10 Ingredients to Happiness and Success, as Charlie said, it evolved into turning crisis into success. And throughout the book, we take dozens of crises I went through as a startup company, okay? And she digs into how did I keep my emotional stability through crisis? Yeah, so I'd say like there's a lot of, I think part of my idea, there's obviously there's tools, we all need tools, um, but you know, frameworks are nice, life is messy. And so our approach was very much, how can we teach through the messiness of real life stories? We'll lay out a framework at the, at the beginning, we'll keep it neat there, but then let's look at what it actually looks like when the dumpster's on fire, there's no fire extinguisher and you have to figure something out. And we talk about a pillar for happiness, a pillar for success, and kind of seven ingredients of what you need to do. But the basis of the book is, here's a crisis, here's what it looked like, here's what I did, okay? It was very interesting, after about a year, uh, Charlie said to me, Dad, I have a lot more respect for you now. And I said, why, you didn't respect me before? And she said, no, but we thought, we thought you started a company, took it public, and sold it. We never, I never, none of us, she and her brother and sister, never knew the ups and downs. And uh, she says, but you know. Um, yeah, I, I would add that um, I think that was such a gift, right? That I didn't have to deal with the stress of the ups and downs of his business when I was younger. But I think it's even more than that. It's a gift later on to be able to share that. Because I think for so many of us who grow up with parents that might try and make things look really nice uh, as a wonderful act of love to try and keep us safe and held it can sometimes create these unrealistic expectations. And so I- Sounds, I, like, it sounds like Instagram or social right? media. Exactly. And so giving the gift, maybe not necessarily while you're, immediately while you're in it, if that's not what's best for that situation, but I think giving the gift of honesty and being like, yeah, this was really hard um, and I didn't feel okay. And here's what I was doing and here's what it felt like. Like to me, that is such a massive gift. And that's something that I don't think we, I would have gotten had we not written this book together. So after a year, she says to me, Dad, you know, you've never really built a business. So I said, what are you talking about? I just told you about two of them. <laughs> so she says, no, all you did was go from crisis to crisis to crisis. And I said, so wow. that's all a startup business is, is how do you go from one crisis to the next to the next? So she said, well, teach me, my friends, how'd you keep your emotional stability through crisis? Well, I would, I would add that we don't agree. Like, we didn't come to a place where we're like, yes, we see everything equally. Like, there's still places where we have healthy tension. Right. But <laughs> I, I, mean, I just shared. And a lot of what I did, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, you get in a crisis. You put everything on the line. You got no money, okay? You got foreclosure notices, personal guarantees. She was six months, and her brother was uh, three and a half years old. And I got foreclosure notices from Malaysia and Thailand. We built some factories there. And uh, you know, I told my wife, and she says, well, honey, I'll go back to work. I said, listen, you're going to wow. earn $60,000 as a food service director. I owe $10 million. You take care of the kids and let me figure out how to get out of it. And we kind of wow. tell the story in the book. But the whole issue really is, it, it really is, how do you control your thoughts? The only thing in life we truly can control are our thoughts. And that's someplace where we disagree. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I felt it right <laughs> <Yeah. over. laughs> We're both like in like... Interviewing mental health experts and this and that, and they're just like, hold on. <laughs> no, but but I but you know when we look at that and we really grapple with that together, um, you know I do believe we do have some control there, not over what thoughts come into our head. Like you know, talk to anyone that's experienced PTSD, sure. and you're, you're you know you're just like that's not how that works. 
Just be happy. No. But we, no. But, we, but, but no. there is control in certain areas in how do we react to the things that are happening to us. And so for me, a big part of my journey is I'm able to weather so much more extremes in terms of the, the storms that come into my mind. Um, I think because of how I've changed my relationship with them, when I saw it as this makes me a failure, this makes me wrong, this makes me bad, then I'm taking a hard thing and like throwing a backpack full of lead weights in it versus being able to see it and be like, okay, like this is happening and I'm weathering a storm and I deserve support in that. And how do I choose to meet this storm? And sometimes that means like completely distracting myself and zoning out. Like sometimes that's actually the most compassionate thing. And sometimes it means sitting with all the icky, disgusting feelings. And sometimes it means moving in to productive different pieces. I think, you know, when I look at it, it's not like we're going to be like, here's the one tool that will fix all my problems. Like success, I think in this, in this domain really comes from how do we develop out our tool belts? Now I've, I've probably had to develop out a lot more tools than him, but I think also but I do think that my dad has almost like had an instinct, like didn't realize he was using certain tools as he was using them. Um, like I do think there was this instinctive ability. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I find a lot of beauty in looking at how can we use and expand our tool belts in different ways. And I talk with young, I talk with young entrepreneurs about when they hit a crisis, which they always do, how do you respond and not react? So when something happens, how do you look at the whole big picture? Tell think, me, how do that? What's that? You step back, okay? So, so you look at the big picture, you look at the outcome that you want to come to, okay? And then you'd ask for help. I think mm -hmm. we were interviewed right after we published the book and someone asked Charlie, what'd you learn working with your father you didn't know before? And she thought for a New York second and said, every crisis he got out of, he asked for help. Wow. And, and that, help, that asking for help is actually a strength, not a weakness. I never realized I did that. But when you go back and read the stories, I mean, I never got it myself. Okay, you ask people, people can help you. And if they like you, they will. So. That's, yeah, historically, that's been a challenge for me to ask for help when I'm going through it. Because it's like, I don't want to put it, I don't want to be a burden on other people is all my story. And then yeah. not knowing that by them helping me, they're feeling good about themselves. I'm like, wait, what? You're allowing them to help you. Then again, when you get so desperate, you have no other, no other choice. I ask for help because, I mean, I just needed help, you know. But I didn't realize I was doing that. But Charlie taught me that. Oh, <laughs> Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, so you were talking about a little bit earlier about how it's kind of like uh, one of the few times you had to be like really vulnerable and, you know, you had to share things with your daughter that, you know, your wife didn't even know. What was that experience like for you, like during and then how did you feel afterwards? You know, I think when we started, as I said, I would write about what happened and she'd say, no, I don't want to know what happened. Tell me what you thought. Tell me what you felt tell me what you said and just going through that over and over again it kind of opened me up me up i feel very safe i love my daughter immensely okay i, I and i don't try and hide things but it's just the way she opened me up it's like opening a flower okay i mean i felt very safe and you know the more i did it the more i liked it um and uh, it's like I went through therapy for four years. I'd never been to therapy. <laughs> um, but uh, it was just- Get it, get it, get yeah. it, Dad. It was really actually, it was just a very, very enlightening, fulfilling experience for me to share what I'd been through. Now remember, some of this stuff was 30 or 40 years ago, okay? So it really projected me back, but I mean, it was just a wonderful experience. And as we have said to other people we've talked to, if you have a chance, go back and ask your parents, what are their uh, grandparents? What were their hardest moments? And you create a bond with them that you never knew existed. It just, and it's a, it's a treat for us. It's not just for you, it's, it's for us who are sharing. You mean it? <laughs> First, they have to be open to it, that's important. <laughs> I feel like not every parents to be open, so that's, I wanna like honor you for being open to that. Um, she didn't give me a choice. Well, and we didn't jump right into it, right? Like there was, I, I think there's also, yeah, there was definitely foundation building that happened there. Um, and I think also just, it's very easy to have this idea of what strength means uh, and like in our, in how our society values it. But I think 
having the ability to be vulnerable and having the ability to have softness is actually a huge strength. And so I think recognizing that and celebrating that can make it more accessible. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, strong, like, but yeah, if you're toxic like, oh, message. yeah, but you're not strong. Yeah, like if you're not strong enough to do that, then how strong are you? And reframing it in the language that people understand. Also, she made a very safe environment. I didn't feel threatened. And as I opened it up, I didn't think at the time that I'd have, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people reading about it. So I didn't think about, but I, I was just being open with her saying, this is, yeah, let me teach you. Let me share what I went through and you teach me what it means. And we did. Wow. And now I'm curious how your life has changed since this opening up, this going to therapy, this. You know, uh, I'm very blessed. I'm probably the luckiest man in the world. Uh, but my, my, my daughter and my wife are both trying to teach me and my other son and daughter to be more empathetic. I'm very type A focused, you know, and now as I've kind of stepped back from the day to day running of things and I have a little more vision, I've tried to be more empathetic. I see it. Um, and I learned a lot about myself. Okay. Being vulnerable is, is, is actually good as a strength. So, you know, I like to share with other people. I'd like to be an example for people of what it's like. Now, you know, there's a really good line in the book that Charlie put that in my generation, a lot of people made a good living, but how many made a good life? Oof. People worked really hard. They didn't have, today people aren't willing to accept that. So I would well, love I'll to cut, be- I'll cut in. People are working very hard uh, and a lot of people are in harder situations than their parents were in, but I think there's also higher demands on meaning uh, and purpose. And so I don't think it's that we're working less hard today, mm -hmm. but I think it's really looking at what does success mean to us? And, it, and I think a lot of people have really expanded that definition. Mm. Is she spot on, dad? She's always spot on, okay. Um, <laughs> but, but I do think that um, we didn't, the, the world's changed a lot. But we didn't think about as much balance. We didn't think about the fulfillment or emotional. You know, when you're struggling to feed your kids and pay your mortgage and things like that, that stuff's nice. But let me tell you something. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the apps. I mean, we were manufactured. We were hard products. And so you had to make, you, you work differently than you work today. We didn't work from home, you know. Um, so it's a different environment, but it's one we grew up in. And if I can be a role model for other people to say, hey, being vulnerable is a strength, okay, and asking for help, it's not just for you, but allows other people to grow. I mean, those are the types of things where maybe I can share that I can be, you know, a, a good role model. My wife and I are really good role models for relationships, for Charlie or friends, for other people. So we love to be really good role models on what we've learned and how do you give it back? and continuing to learn and face challenges right. and evolve. Awesome. Different ones. So, Charlie, I wanted to ask you, what was, how did you get to the point you are now? I mean, you, you said you struggled with anxiety, you know, eating disorders, PTSD, you know, now you're, or you just got your master's. How did you get to the point now? What was that journey like? Uh, I was, well, you know, very much a roller coaster, as I'm sure, uh, you know, many people with diagnosable and non-diagnosable uh, situations uh, and mental health can understand. So I would say it definitely evolved over time. I was very much initially, like, don't ask for help. Like, I, you know, I, I had experienced a lot of trauma. I'd been assaulted. I'd been near death ill um, and had really intense experiences. And initially, I... I had, my identity was so built on being strong um, that I waited until I could not not ask for help, that there was just no way I was going to be able to continue operating. And it, the, I, at one point when, a, you know, the first time I'd been really been in therapy and the therapist had talked about medication um, and, you know, said, you know, severe depression, PTSD, I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not crazy because I had so much mm -hmm. internalized um, stuff around that. And she goes, okay, you know, um, so let's talk about those panic attacks you're having um, every day, how many times a day? And I was like, oh no, those aren't panic attacks. Those are involuntary breathing experiences. <laughs> um, so wow. I was so committed, but I would say it's, and that was you know, 10 years ago, but 
in that time, I've gone through so many different pieces. So there's times where I, on paper, I looked incredible, where I, you know, I had the dream job, I was working at Google, or I was, you know, producing at the Washington Post, and everything looked incredible on paper. And the reality is I was miserable, and I was barely getting by. And that's not a very original story. And so absolutely therapy and medication were big tools that were parts of my life. Therapy is still a big part of my life. Um, but also kind of taking a lot of different approaches, having, getting really deeply into yoga. I, I left Silicon Valley after a really intense sort of health experience and ended up backpacking through Southeast Asia. And so for me, yeah, Southeast Asia. Oh, so me, good, so, so good. good. And I ended up studying um, yoga and, and doing my yoga teacher training. And so for me, really getting deeper into topics around yoga and Tantra and Buddhism and different ways that we can relate to the mind and having those physical embodiment practices, especially because I had been so sick. And on top of that, I had carried all this trauma in my body. I found things completely changed. I was told I would never have normal muscle function without this medication, like Parkinson's medication, essentially. I was able to stop taking it years after doctors said it wasn't possible. I started finding like, oh wow, I can make these leaps and bounds that I, I didn't believe were possible for me. But it also doesn't mean that mental health solved um you know like things still come back i've not gone more than a year without really having to navigate some hard depression um but i would say my tool belt is so much bigger and the way that i can come back from things has changed so i can tolerate more i can dance with more um but also when i come back it's not to the same place so when we talk about resilience it can often be seen as like okay you get hit and you come back down to where you were from I'm like, okay, that's nice, but like, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. I, when I get knocked down, I want to come back to someplace deeper and wiser than where I've been. And that's where post-traumatic growth comes in. Because those of us who can get knocked down and bounce right back to where we were and don't struggle, the research and studies actually show you don't grow as much. The people who grow the most are those that are hit so hard that our worldview is sort of shattered. And the way that developmental psychologists talk about growth and development, that shattering or that discomfort uh, or that place we really don't want to be in, that's where the growth happens. And so sometimes we're, so, we're trying so hard to protect against that uncomfortable place that we miss all the gems and the teachers and the gifts that it has. So when I look at where I'm at today, I'm like, oh, thank God I've gone through all these horrible things because I'm so much more in love with life and myself. Um, and I fall back out and I come back in, but like where I'm at, is a direct result of the hardest places I've been. Mm. I'm curious if you're open to talking about a little bit into your tool, your tool belt, and yeah. some of your favorite tools that work for you. Absolutely. So I think when I look at like just very tangible tools, I would say yoga and breath work, like really using the body and the breath, I find very, very grounding. Um, and working with the energetic system, I find really powerful. And so there's, you know, deep rabbit holes that can kind of get into there. But I would say that's a really big piece of it. But also how I look at things. Like when we, when we, when we talk about Tantra and Tantric yogis, the essential at the core of it uh, and the idea behind it is not studying spirituality up in a mountain, but how do you bring that mindset into everyday living, into your fights with your loved ones, into those hard moments? Like how can you really be with those? And so being able to really, in moments of extreme heartbreak, um, yeah, I feel sad and devastated, but rather than being like, no, I don't want that. How do I lean into it and say, okay, impermanence is terrifying and hard and beautiful. And that's what makes life so powerful. How can I look at this pain as a spiritual practice? How can I, rather than running away from it, surrender into it? And that's not easy, but those thought models come from a combination of like the philosophy and the physical practice as well as meditation and things like that. So the tools almost like interweave in with each other a little bit, um, but it can, it can vary. You know, there's tools for crisis and the tools for crisis that are the best fit there are a horrible fit in a different situation. Like when I work with people who are suicidal and we're talking about getting through crisis, certain coping mechanisms are absolutely appropriate there that if things were going fine and jolly, wouldn't be appropriate somewhere else. And so I think really keeping in mind, not just what tools do we have, but where do we use them? Because the right tool in the wrong situation can do more harm than good. Mm. I'm, cur I wanna, I'm curious to uh, ask this, just so we get it out there. If, if someone like has someone who's kind of suicidal and they need some support or like, what is some 
words of support you can give them? Absolutely. So I would say there's a few things. One is there are a number of hotlines with trained counselors. And so I would say it's really ideal to get someone talking. I mean, I'm biased because I'm there, but I think, <laughs> I do think that getting someone in touch with someone who can, who can help safety plan and who can help hold space in that way is really powerful, but you don't need to be a trained counselor to be able to hold space. And so what was really helpful for me, um, you know, when I experienced suicidality and when I was in that place and no one around me knew, um, was that I had, you know, an auntie I'm really close with who sat me down and she just said, you know, Hey, I, I can see that you're in a lot of pain. Uh, and that's okay. I was just wondering, can I sit with you in it? And what that did for me was so powerful because it was, other people had tried to help, but there, I oftentimes felt a sense of judgment or looking down on me. Fixing or I felt, it. Felt, yeah. I felt my own stigma against myself. Um, but what my Auntie Lisa did, there did in that moment was, it was a giving of respect. It's, it's saying like, hey, can I sit with you? And it, it gave me power and me control. And sometimes when everything is so out of control, um, to be seen with respect, to be given control in that way um, can be so humanizing and give so much connection in the moment that we need it most. So if, if we have people that we're worried about, you know, asking, can I sit with you in this? Give it saying, you know, I, I see that, I see it seems like you're in, you're in pain and not like, how do I fix it? How do I help? But can I be with you um, is, a, is, is a really big one. And that space can be so different having the actual desire to listen and also not being afraid if you are worried that someone is thinking about suicide saying like hey you know are you thinking about killing yourself it sounds like such a scary question uh if we're not used to asking it for me it's about as normal as saying hey how are you <laughs> um i do wow. it so much but that that question never puts an idea in someone's head like that idea is a total myth um, but what it can do is it can create the space where it's allowed. Cause if you're dealing with that and you're sitting with that, that can feel too heavy to share. And oh, so what yeah. we can do is let someone know nothing's too heavy to share with me. And if we're not the right person, let's find someone who is. Hmm. Yeah. I noticed that when I was going through really hard times, just saying the very uncomfortable thoughts out loud, it was just so cathartic. Like I'm just, I'm losing hope right recently and this, this and that uh, as I'm saying it, I'm feeling shame and discomfort from doing it. But for some reason it was, it was a lot lighter after I did it. Sure. Uh, it's Cause you're sharing it. Yeah. You're not moving it in. You're not hiding it. It's so powerful. And doing that with, you know, that I'm obviously all about vulnerability and I wear my stories on my sleeve, but it's also that we don't owe people our stories. So if you don't feel safe with someone, you're not obligated to share, but it's really finding where can I find that safety where I know I can share and that can be held. Um, and so that's offering that for others, I think is, is so powerful. But I, I, yeah, I also want to recognize there are people who can't hold that and who we shouldn't necessarily share that with. And we don't, we don't owe that in any way. It might be the wrong person. That person isn't in a space to hold that space because they have their own issues, their own problems. Right. And um, yeah, I like that. I, I like to, I like to say, how can I, like Kyle and I, we always do this. When we're going through a hard time. We'll say, how can I support you? How can I support you? Instead of like, do this, do that. Like, I think it's, um, but we don't know. We have good, people that say like, do this, do that. They have good intentions. Those, they're not, they don't know they're doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there are certain situations where it, when there is so much overwhelm, you know, someone says, how can I support you? And you're like, oh, I, I don't know. But if someone says, hey, here's three things, which one can I do? Oh. Or you prefer something else? What that does is I don't have to think that hard and it still gives that option or something else or nothing. So you can, you can tap out, you can say no. But if you can't even really think straight, having someone put that on a platter and say, which of these do you want can be a lot easier than coming up with it ourselves. Yeah, I think one of the most powerful, or one, one really powerful thing Jeremy taught me was uh, saying, are, are you open for feedback? Are you open for advice? Instead of just going in and saying like, hey, you should do this and trying to fix that problem. Because I find historically that is something that, that I used to just go into. And, and once I made that switch, it was, you know, conversations were so much better. Relationships were so much better doing that. I still do that. I try not to, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to unlearn, right? Uh, yeah, it, practice. It's so powerful. Like, I, and I think that goes back to the power piece, right? It's giving power in that person's hands. And I would say for people who really want to help, like that is the number one thing. Like when I train other counselors, 
the number one thing that's hard for people to learn is to not jump into fixing um, because it's like, we want to help, please let me, mm. let me do this. But what, what that can actually be about is it's not actually about the other person. It's about our desire to help. And so it's really what you were just saying is really recentering it around that person and their needs rather than how do I be the helper? How do I be the hero? Exactly. Why, hello, fellow ninjas. This is Kyle. I wanted to take a really quick break from the show to talk to you about this new CBD oil I've been trying. So if you're like me, since this pandemic started, I have added a decent amount of extra stress and anxiety into my life. So I've been trying to, you know, help my first grade daughter with e-learning, taking my two younger kids to and from preschool, all while trying to work from home and trying to manage all these schedules all together and make sure everything aligns perfectly. It can be overwhelming. So what I started doing is I started taking the CBD oil from New Aura to help ease and give any relief to anxiety that I may face during the day. And to my surprise, it works. I've tried several different CBD products in the past from many companies, but Nuara is the best I have ever tried. On days I feel I may need it, I put half a teaspoon in with my coffee and it helps me a lot. What's even better is that you can use it for sleep, which is probably my favorite part. I take it every night before bed and I sleep like a baby. I mean, it is now part of my new nighttime routine. So I want to be sure that you guys know that it's not intended to be a cure for anxiety. This is just a supplement, something that could possibly provide some relief to you. So I wanted to share this information with you guys because I think it might be helpful to you as well. So if you want to try Nuara's CBD oil, and Nuara is spelled new A-U-R-A, by the way, you can do so by going to thesocialninjaspodcast.com slash CBD and use the code NINJAS to get two bottles for the price of one. So make sure you guys go to thesocialninjas.com slash CBD and use that code NINJAS and you get two bottles for the price of one, which is an amazing deal. So make sure you guys go check it out. I will let you guys get back to the show. Um, so Richard, with your daughter going through all this, I'm sure that was quite the struggle for sure. What would your advice be to fathers or parents in general with a, a child, you know, struggling with anxiety or PTSD, you know, just mental illness in general? You know, a lot of that we didn't know. She was very private, okay? Now, when she was 20, she was uh, in a, a bad rugby accident, almost died. And from that point forward, um, really knew a lot more. Uh, my wife is very empathetic. Yeah, I she would say, I would maybe yeah. add, add in, if that's all right. Please. Um, There's a first time for everything. But I, you know, I would say in a parental relationship, it's also recognizing where our strengths were. Like, I love my dad to pieces. He's not the person I go to when I'm not feeling good uh, mentally, because when you talk about the ability to understand, he can't really comprehend those places. And so he's, his empathy has gotten, you know, leaps and bounds better. But I also know that with my parents, I go to my mom to talk about things because she has more of those natural skills in being able to hold space. So I think it's also possible to have an incredible relationship and also be like, yeah, you're not who I turn to for those things. That's not where the skills are. But I also at the same time know if I needed something, I like if there was an emergency, I could do it. So the I would say like the someone's skill set not being matched to your needs doesn't decrease the amount of love or value of that relationship. And a perfect example is my wife and her best friend went on a two week trip to South America. And after about a week, all of a sudden, Charlie and my other daughter start calling me with all these questions, things going on. Says, what do you call me? Because oh, mom, I can't talk to mom, so I have to talk to you. So all these things <laughs> that they always talk to my wife about, all of them talk to me about, and I always felt good about it, but I never realized that all these things are going on. Plus I'm a guy, you know, and my wife is very, very 
Well, I would say, I wouldn't say the guy thing, really. I was waiting. I was thinking it. I love it. Jeremy, every time I call him out right as I do it, you know it's coming. I do. Um, but, but it was, you know, the first time where I called him in yeah. a super anxious, overwhelmed state and was crying. And he was like, okay, I'm buying you a ticket home. Like, just no, come home. How do I fix it? I, went, I personally went right to how do I fix it, yeah. okay? And my wife had told me, just be there. Just listen. Okay, how can I help? You know, so anyway, but it is true. But the issue is, look, the worst thing is when any parent is when their kids are suffering. Okay, a lot of times we can't stop it. A lot of times it's a learning experience. So, you know, what we shared, we tried to be there for. But, you know, we can't. Life is about learning. Okay, everything happens, I believe, for a reason. And, and bad things keep happening to me because they're lessons to learn. And when I learned those lessons, they stop and other bad things happen. And that's really valuable. That's not the type of thing you want to say to someone no, no, who's in that place. Correct. And then I'm not saying you did. No, no, but, but I'm just saying to you that so, so as she was going through these different hard times, there were lessons she was learning. She is so much stronger now. She is so much more at, a, at such an unbelievable depth of level because of the experiences she went through. Now, she said she wouldn't trade it. You hate to go through just like me. I've been to so many crises. I hate to go through them. It's kind of nice looking back on them. And there are a lot of lessons there. So it, the issue is that crisis is inevitable. Is it going to catapult your growth or is it going to hold you back? And that's your, your how do you deal with crisis? And I'll add one more note just around parents with kids in crisis is you don't have to know all the answers, but there's always people that you can ask for help. Like sure. asking for help isn't limited to the person in a mental health crisis the people surrounding them and that support system, when they ask for help from people who are trained in it or who have been there, then they can strengthen that support system. So no matter where you are in the lineup, it's the idea of you don't have to know the answers, but how do you find the people who can help you show up the best way possible? It's not what you know, it's who you know, and be able to reach out to the right people. Yeah. It's well said. I, I think like I, I used to have I do everything on my own and then I like even recently, I, I have this like side project called like Join Team Human. And I was like, I don't know how to make a website. I don't know how to do this. And I'm like, I'm doing this challenge. I'm talking to people around the world. And I was like, hey, would anyone want, I just said it, I was like in a chat, would anyone want to help me with this website? And they're like, I would, I do. Can I do a design? And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. And each child, each child, brings a different set of challenges, okay? So there's no free lunch. I mean, that's what you know, raising kids are. But it's that, it's that depth of emotion. It's the sharing. It's, you know, things don't always turn out as well as they have for us. But, you know, you got to go through it. That's part of life. You got to play the hand you dealt. I'm, I was awesome. going to ask, I want to ask this real quick. What is, like, what do you want to bring to the world more so with this book? You know, I first, first is hope. Uh, everyone's going to go through crisis, whether it's personal, business, family, relationship. So I, I think the real issue is if I'm hoping to model and show what worked for me and give other people tools to say, hey, look, okay, here's how I can better handle it. Here's how I can get through it. You know, it's, life is not when you get a crisis, you get very myopic. And of course, how do you help people see more choices? How do you help them respond? So my, our, our goal is really to show people that crisis after crisis after crisis, you can get out of it. But it is tools, okay? I've been meditating for almost 50 years. Okay, wow. that's a tool that I, I, I use daily, okay? Uh, when I got the tough times, I jogged on the beach, okay? As the, my whole world was crashing, as I jogged along the beach in Del Mar, I tell myself, okay, if I can get up tomorrow and see the waves crash, that's success. So I reframe success knowing I go and do one day at a time. So the real hope is that by listening, by reading, and it's an audio book, it's a, it's a digital on Kindle, it's an Amazon, but by people reading it and asking questions about it, maybe they too can find ways to get over some of the crises they currently have or will have you know, going forward. Yeah, and I guess from my side of it, I think these conversations around struggle um, and challenge are so important. And I think it's so necessary for vulnerability, for humanizing things. And I think we get a lot of it in you know, the self-help, the, the personal development space. But I think where it really catches on in a much wider way is when these conversations happen in every industry, in every corner, how do we have our role models from all around the world 
modeling these conversations, not just it hiding in its corner. And so, yes. vibing, vibing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> but so I think with, you know, when I look at, at our book, when I look at Turning Crisis into Success, it reads very much like a, a novel. Like I, I'm so passionate about the power of story. But I think when we look at, okay, here's someone that the world sees in this way. Um, here's someone who's a business executive, very, very successful. How do we look at those hard times? How do we humanize that role? How do we be a role model, not just in the success that we can gain and the money that we can make and the things we can produce, but in the ways we become more human and in the ways that our challenges can shape us and realizing that those are not two separate things, that what we go to achieve in the world is inextricably connected to our personal development as people and trying to compartmentalize and keep those separate, I think does so much harm. Just recognizing like we show up as our full selves to work. We're stronger when we show up as, as our full selves to all our different parts of life. How do we do that more? And so I think that was sort of our, our approach to it. And then obviously getting to, we didn't know going and launching the book that most people would be so stoked and fascinated on the father-daughter dynamic. And we realized, oh, wait, there's something really powerful here in showing how do we have inter intergenerational conversations? How do we have, you know, I kind of joke, I was like, you know, he, he loves sports and golf, the golf club and, you know, and some meditation and poetry basketball. too, basketball, all, like business, like that's his thing. Um, whereas like for me, I'm like, you know, I'm obviously younger, I'm his daughter, but being, progressive and queer and into social justice and mental health like we operate and live in such different create worlds um how do we not have to see the same the things the same way um but still have productive conversation and love each other and recognize that like you can bond from different areas and there's actually more learning when we come together and don't see things the same way and we're hoping that as we talk and people listen it's more like you're sitting at a dinner table with us. We're having conversations about life than it is us preaching or things like that. But very interesting. You know, a lot of successful people put on an air, have an image, I should say. Okay. And uh, I remember one night that uh, some of my uh, friends who are former NBA players were over and uh, we started talking about their hardest moments growing up in Chicago. Well, I, I sort of opened and I asked for consent to, right. to go there. Um, and they loved talking about the hard times of what it was like and this. And, you know, so, so we loved listening to it. But, but these people love sharing it. Okay, nobody's perfect. Nobody has an easy ride. Okay? Uh, it's, yeah. it's like this all of life. So to be able to share that and hear that and even to see, like Charlie said, I thought, Dad, you started a company, took them public and sold them. I didn't know you had problems. Okay? I said, well, I you don't when you're you know single digits you don't need to know that right now you now it's nice to know so, yeah. so that's so it's about taking away the filter culture and showing real stories in every aspect of our lives and sharing and sharing people and look i'm not perfect i've made mistakes okay? i can vouch yeah uh i made mistakes i hear it every day at home no i'm just kidding <laughs> no he's not no he's not <laughs> I don't, and you, you couldn't tell this is I don't, very much I don't, I don't hear it because I just block it out, you know. Um, anyway, um, but again, to answer your question, the more we can share about what we've learned, it's how do you give back? What have I learned? Okay, and what else can I? Because, you know, who learns more, the teacher or the student? Okay, it's always a teacher, right? Are you the, which one are you? Both, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's what we're trying to do is just share what we what we've learned, what we know, and you know, see what we can do. For me, it's about celebrating those differences. I feel like Correct. Yeah, that's, just, that's so important. I feel like people are so freaked out. Well, this person's different than me. This one, oh, bad. Let me stay away from different. And it's like, it's, it's non-judgment. It's not judging people. It's accepting people for who they are. They can be different. They can have different views. You know, just because I think something doesn't mean it's right. Okay. That's my view. Yeah, and I, yeah. I would say it's been definitely a process to being able to really embrace myself because I am quite different um, than my family in a lot of ways. We, we, you know, we have a lot of similarities, but I'm very, very different. And I'm very lucky to have a family that's so inclusive and supportive, but it was terrifying. And it took me a while to learn how to stand into myself and not be apologetic or not trying to fit into a box. Yeah, people please her. Yeah, one, I think, I, and Jeremy, I don't know if, you, if you've, like this but for me after experiencing assault my mentality was so much 
I want to just go back to normal. Let me be normal. Let me be normal. And I didn't realize that my normal was not the same as other people's normals. So I was trying to push myself into a box that I was never designed to fit in. Oh. And so I think a lot of the idea around so much of the conversations is like, how do we throw those boxes out and just look at what fits us rather than what is convenient for others to have us fit into? And that's a hard thing to recognize. That doesn't, it's not like we can just open a book and be like, this is me, you know? Like it, I think so much of that work requires that self-study, but going through mental health challenges and the work that it takes to come to the other side of it can actually bring us so much closer to ourselves than if we never had those mental health challenges in the first place. So I have a question for Charlie, if you don't mind. So on that note, on that note, okay, is that possible as a teenager versus you're 30 now, okay? So when you're younger and you don't have some of the life experiences, either living on your own or something, I mean, can you really get out of the boxes and judgmental? Is that something that... Absolutely. So I would say when, for me, some of my greatest teachers have specifically been um, young teens, like 13 to 15 or 16, young transgender and non-binary teens. They are my greatest teachers. They are so many of them that I've had the privilege of being able to support are people who at such a young age have been able to really get a deep understanding of who they are, even when the entire world not the entire world, but so much of the world is telling them, you don't have the right to exist like that. That's, that's not real. Like that's such hard language and such hard ideas and people who can step into themselves and recognize who they are, um, even in the face of all that, that to me is like the strongest, bravest thing I've had the privilege of experiencing uh, and to see firsthand. But also I would say, looking at these young trans and uh, non-binary teens, the wisdom and insight and self-awareness that they have blows me away almost every single time. And so to me, I'm like, wow, what a testament to that brutally hard work of having to find your own box that society really tries to block you from, but the lessons that can come with that. And they're hard earned lessons. You know, mental health statistics for trans people are pretty horrific. Um, but I think it's the type of thing where you look at for how much you're up against, how much is possible. So when I look at young people, young people are some of my greatest teachers. I think one of the keys there is how do we support them? How do we build those networks that enable people to glean those sure. lessons? Nice. Thank you. Anytime. I didn't mean to take your job away. Go ahead. Oh, <laughs> Charlie, you have a question? Back to you, Jet. Does Charlie have a question for your dad? <laughs> I mean, we can, we, I need to go there. So yes, yeah, yeah, let me, let me, let me come up with one. Yes. Please don't do that, no! <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. It's a fun energy. Yeah, I guess. So let me look back. So, and this is actually something that's a fun, maybe a treat for you guys, because this isn't conversations we've never really, really gone into super deep detail on. Um, but I guess when we look at the times where I've really struggled, and you didn't know what was going on, or you did find out what was going on, or you didn't have the tools to help me, um, what did it feel like to not be able to reach me? You know, obviously empty. I mean, I want to fix everything. Uh, I was very lucky because I had your mother. Okay, and she would coach me through all these times and I would share with her, what can I do? How do I help this and that? And she, she's just very calming and that, you know, and she'd be reassuring. Uh, and then there were often times where she was going off the deep end and I had to reassure her. So having a true life partner and a soulmate is really helpful when you're at a loss for what to do um, with a child. Now, I don't know how single parents do it, but we're not gonna go there. So I think for me, the issue was, um, I even when you were in the hospital and the doctor said, there's nothing we can do, all you can do is pray, okay? This is after I was in, an, uh, I was in a bad rugby accident, um, and so I was a respiratory ICU patient. Basically, the, the same complications that, um, are killing people that have COVID are the, are very similar to the complications that I was um, dealing with. Yeah, and, and she was in the ICU, and and my wife would say, you know, you know, do you realize she could die? And I said, no. Okay, I only see her walking out of the hospital. Okay, I I wouldn't allow myself to to look at what was possible. I only looked at what I needed to see happen. 
okay? And that was my coping me mechanism. It didn't do any good to see what could go wrong, okay? And I'm a true believer is you create the future, you don't change the present, you focus your mind, you live into what you want. So, I mean, for me, not being able to, I mean, I've always been able to hire the best doctors, do all sorts of things. And, and that was truly a moment when all you can do is pray is a moment where you really get in touch with life and you realize, you know, your vulnerability. And I was just very lucky to have a soulmate who kind of helped walk me through that. And I dealt with it the way, best way I could, you know, for me. So it wasn't for her. Her mother was helping her. I was trying to help myself. You know, yeah, no, I, I, I would say that was a great approach for you. And when I look at what it looked like for me from the hospital bed, um, it was my mom that was the reason, that was, that was my rock. And that, that kind of got me through. And so people play different roles. <laughs> that, that, makes, that makes sense. It's, it's like this dynamic. I owe you one. I owe you one. Next time. I'm open to all the hard questions. You ask me one, just know I'm going <laughs> to come back at you. So thank you that's, for allowing that's, that. That's why I don't ask questions. <laughs> no further questions. <laughs> Dad's like back a, to you, Jeremy. Kyle. Kyle, you got something? Uh, uh, I was just going to ask you guys what, and uh, you can go one at a time. What's a message, if you had the ability to send a message to everybody in the world, what would your message be? Good. When you start. <laughs> she okay, swigged it on purpose so you could go first. <laughs> hey, watch, watch. He, uh, he loves. <laughs> um, is it a, a message that they get to receive or something that gets instilled in them? Um, I really thought about it, but uh, I would say just a message that they receive, like you're sending them a text or something. Yeah, um, if I could send one, that's a good question. If I could send okay, one. so I'll go first while she thinks about it, okay? <laughs> okay, I would tell you that um, everybody has a right to be happy, okay? And the secret to happiness is truly learning to love yourself, becoming your own best friend. And it's not until we love ourselves can other people love us and we love other people. So with all of our warts, with all of our dysfunctions, we all are here today through a series of things. But the most important thing we could do for ourselves is learn to accept ourselves and love who we are and become our own best friend. And the more people can do that, the more peace in the world there will be, the more love there will be, just the more joy there will be. And that's a hard lesson to learn because lots of people have lots of obstacles of why they shouldn't love themselves. But the bottom line is they have no choice. That they, They're going to live their whole life with themselves. And the real question is how they learn to love themselves. That's my message. What a long text. <laughs> you didn't say text. <laughs> uh, so I guess if I'm going to stay on the theme of love, um, I would say love is not weak or soft. True love is an incredibly gritty thing. Um, and so I think there's an ability to find beauty and grace, even in the most ruthless pieces of it. And so there would be the love hard, love deep, love true piece of it. Um, and then I guess this mixes up a little bit, but the, the, the researcher in me feels the need to bring this in is just, you know, at the end of our days, when people are on their deathbeds, researchers have found what we really care about when we leave this world is very simple. Did I love and was I loved? And so the strength to, I guess, be our bravest selves to look deeply and truly at ourselves because we can't love what we refuse to see. Um, and the more that we can do that to ourselves, the easier it is to do to the rest of the world. Uh, and the more that we can look at the world through love, the easier it is to love ourselves. So also a long text, but yeah, yeah that wouldn't fit on a text. <laughs> I had to make it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I know me and Jeremy both have struggled with self-love in the past. We're definitely huge advocate advocates for it now. And it's, yeah, it's something that's hard to learn that lesson. But once you do, it's just like, man, it just opens so much for you. It's incredible. So what legacy do you want to leave? 
you asked us, so I'm saying uh, you have a platform. It's, it's literally like same as yours. Like I want to make this world. I want to lead this. I want to lead the world in the space. Uh, hold the space for more people to love themselves unconditionally and feel worthy of love and and to be able to connect with other people authentically. Like I just and I don't know. And I also want to like I also have this other one of wanting to connect the world in a beautiful way because i feel like we all we're all the same deep down like, i've done a lot of traveling and i noticed like we're literally all the same deep down we all want the same we all have the same needs and wants and such but like and i want people to kind of i know you um richard you talked about judgments not to judge people i want to add on to that i think that in order for there to be change and there needs to be like it's okay to have judgments and i don't um because then, because the I think for me the, the important piece is to be willing to challenge the judgments because judgments are going to happen. I feel like people are so scared to like be racist or have certain judgments they never say it out loud. So then those judgments never get restructured. Okay, that's also I, what I, I no I I really love that. I think it's you know there's there's the comments that have gone around of like okay yeah safe spaces are nice but what we really need are brave spaces. Um, where we can fully show up and it doesn't have to be an explosion. We can fully show up and engage with people who are different with us and engage with our judgments of others as well as our judgments of ourselves. I think it kind of reminds me how we can kind of mix up or mistake avoidance for acceptance. Mm. And pushing something down and not looking at it is not the same thing as meeting it and moving through it. And so what I hear you saying, Jeremy, is that ability to really meet and see things and move through them to get to the other side. Um, and I so I'm on the same page as you for that. It's going to get, as someone, one friend said, it's going to get messy before it gets cleaned up. Yeah. What about you, Kyle? What's your legacy? Yeah. So, I mean, well, first my message would be mental health is just as important as physical health. And so it kind of links back to me growing up. So, you know, I was growing up, I didn't even know what mental health was, or, you know, I didn't understand what anxiety was. So what I want to, you know, what I want to leave, just I, I want to, I want to build a community of mental health warriors, people who understand what mental health is. I want people to know the different tools that they have access to. I want people to take uh, a priority with their mental health on a daily basis and work to improve and build upon it because I, I think that really is the, the key to happiness if you aren't working on your mental health and if you neglect it it's, it's extremely hard to be happy so I just want everybody to understand those tools that show them that they have access to them and yeah yeah and create healthy habits that's the way you do that it's to, I, you know working so hard you create healthy want, habits. can I add that as a second text to mine is it too late I think I, well, I think this is actually a good text <laughs> So I think we should all <laughs> take from each other. That's, that's what was decided. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for coming on. That was, uh, right, Kyle? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really have and really enjoyed talking with you guys. It's yeah, an awesome conversation. Awesome. Well, the good news is we enjoy talking. So my wife says I never talk too long because I enjoy every minute. So, um, but also I'll tell you, what a great writer Charlie is and the book really reads like a novel. So okay. anybody who wants, who has questions for us, you know, on our website, turning crisis into uh, crisis into success.com, they can go there and, and post questions to us and we'll answer all of their questions. That's that my next question. Where can they find you? What's the name of the book? Where do they go? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the website is crisis into success.com. Uh, and that's where you can find our book, turning crisis into success. Uh, we've both got our own websites, Richard Jaffe, Charlie Jaffe, uh, and RichardJaffe.net. Sorry. Uh, and then, and yeah, we're on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram as well. So really Facebook, you know, wherever you want to jump, we can probably find each other. And Amazon, it's, the book is available on Amazon. It's available digitally on Kindle and on Audible yeah. uh, as an audio book, which I read myself. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I would just say I am so thrilled that we're all kind of a part of the same circle and community of people changing the conversation around mental health. So for anyone listening who's struggled or who's come through uh, any type of crisis or struggle in your lives, um, I just want to take a second to pause and celebrate that strength. And I'm so glad that we get to be a part of a world that starts to see that strength. Um, so that's what we're trying to do with the book, but also just 
what we're trying to do in our conversations with you and how we operate on a daily basis. So thank you for also bringing that to the world. Thank you. <laughs> Until then, next week, this will be another episode of Social Ninjas. Yeah. Awesome. Oh. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs>